what's going on, y'all? This is Kelly Clarkson. Welcome to Miss Into Podcast, the Kelly Clarkson fan podcast. The very first podcast dedicated to the original idol, Kelly Clarkson. Here are your hosts, Jeremy and Pam. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Miss Into Podcast, the Kelly Clarkson fan podcast. I'm Jeremy. And my name is Pam. And today we have a cool, unique, very different style of an episode, but... Over the course of us doing this podcast, we've had a lot of people reach out to us with just general music industry questions. Um, you know, Jeremy and I have, you know, Jeremy still works in the music industry. I, I guess, formerly did um, in my, you know, past life, AK last year. Um, and yeah, so we, you know, we got a really awesome idea from our guest today. And by guest, I mean kind of our host for today. Where I think Jeremy and I are going to take a little bit of like a, a backseat here and get interviewed. But we have an yeah. awesome awesome host today who was one of our very first people on the podcast i believe like one of the first um she brought this idea to us we loved it but we were like we don't know how you want to frame this so let us know how we can help and you will have the floor so we are so excited to welcome our friend moni back to the podcast what's up hey Hey guys thank you welcome back to be here also gave me some palpitations as you're uh, oh my god (laughs) oh we're happy to have you back I need to, while we're on here, just like bear with me, guys. I want it for our listeners um, who may be sort of new to the podcast. I'm going to go back very quickly and see which episode Moni was part of because I'm telling y'all, it was like one of the very, very first ones. Okay, oh, it you, was. Do you remember off the top of your head, Moni? It had to have been. Well, so that was the first time. And then you, um, that would have been like, like I feel like it's within the first five or six episodes. Six. It was the sixth episode. Um, it was our first My Kelly Experience episode that wasn't Jeremy or I. Um, yeah. And it was the Flat Merrill. That's right. Flat Merrill is legendary. And then <laughs> and then you guys were kind enough to have me back on for a roundtable. Yeah. That That's turned right. out to be when the Christmas album came out. So it was like a dual roundtable. So you, I'm really questioning your guys' judgment and guests because you've had me on now four <laughs> times. <laughs> oh my God, stop. <laughs> we love you um so moni can you like you know explain to our followers like your inspiration for the episode and like you know again like you're 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 kind of hosting today so feel free to start whenever (laughs) well in my other podcast life i've been told i need to practice interviewing so i think this. i mean i do too i'm still terrible at it so you're good (laughs) so you know in january there was an episode you guys did and the news, I really like the addition of like the sort of Kelly news part. Obviously, we've had more activity in the last like year or so, but I've enjoyed that. And one of the things that popped up was super random. Someone had noticed on Twitter that like she'd started charting for happier than ever on iTunes or something. Yeah. And Pam just like very casually throws out there this like, yeah, I wonder if the record label like reached out to some influencers and are like trying to build some momentum before the like be the launch and like. It was very hypothetical and very like, I don't know anything, but it was just like a very like as somebody who has like absolutely no connection to the music industry, but has always been like super fascinated by it. It was just like a a thing that popped into my head of like, well, promo in general is kind of something that people that aren't in the industry are probably just like fascinated by. Or maybe it's just me. But you guys thought like other people might appreciate it, especially since the cycle is coming. So that's pretty much like where I came up with the idea. Um, and then I sent it to you and you guys were like, sure, let's geek out. So that's, <laughs> that's how we got here. 
Yeah, because, like, I mean, I don't want to speak for Jeremy, but I know for myself, sometimes, like, I'll just kind of go on those tangents exactly what we're, we're, that what you were talking about with Happier Than Ever, um, where it just, like, blew up on TikTok and it was charting, you know. And, like, sometimes I'll just spew out these, like, possible, like, theories I have, not realizing that, like, this is a brand new wheelhouse for a lot of people. I'm just like, oh, yeah, well, like, it, it, makes, it makes sense because of X, Y, and Z. And I'm like... Oh, this is not common knowledge. This is just what I know from my job. And that's kind of all I know in my life. Um, <laughs> so that's really all I know, you know. Uh, I don't know anything else. I feel the same for- about my life. <laughs> yeah. Doctor, you know, you're, you're, you know, all yeah. your medical jargon. So, yeah. So I think it'd be really awesome for our listeners to like maybe get like a little, you know, maybe some QA about like how, things are run when it comes to promo for an album or things that have to like lead up to an album, things that lead up to a tour because a lot of people rightfully so are like very like thirsty for new Kelly album. I understand. And I don't know, maybe it'll give people some perspective as to like what actually goes in. It's not just like you record an album and then you send it to your label and then boom, it's out. There's like way more involved. So <laughs> yep. we'll get into that. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so I think before we get too far into the weeds, I think a couple things to establish is like who's running point when it specifically for like the album and like single part are sort of like moving towards like launch. So who's running point on like organizing stuff? So I would say like someone at the label. Label. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like right now, uh, as we record this in February of 2023. Kelly is not, and and Atlantic has not released any information about a single or about the album thus far. But we do know that the album uh, has been recorded. We know that the album is finished, and it is at this point in its final processes. Now, at the same time that there are producers and mixers in a studio polishing up the record, there are also meetings going on at Atlantic Records, both internally and talking with Uh, Kelly and with management as they start to formulate their plan for the rollout and release of the album. And at this point, uh, even though, again, the album has not been, you know, pressed anywhere yet, uh, they've already made some decisions. They've likely made the decision about what the first single is going to be. And they've also probably figured out uh, the release dates for that single and likely they've slated or at least penciled in a release date for the album. And so now the process is working on what to do for the rollout. How are we going to unveil this album project to the public? And I think we've, we've got confirmation from Kelly herself at some point that this is going to be a quote unquote different or unique kind of rollout Uh, for an album now we obviously don't know what that means they're obviously going to try something fun that gets a little bit of attention to 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 the project itself so right now everybody's just plotting in their calendar all the specific things that are going to be happening leading up to the album release that's that's good like let's back up a second though because you just dropped a bunch of like Oh yeah, they they've already mapped it out. They've already, you know, all that stuff. So, one, how how far in advance Pam does that generally happen? Or is that I mean, there, I'm sure there's a lot of variability, but like yeah. what sort of stuff goes into that decision making about the when specifically? So, I'm going to preface for our listeners. So, I used to work in management. 
Um, and the way that I would explain management, because a lot of people don't really understand it, and I don't blame them. It's a weird, it's a weird place in the music industry. Basically, management is the people that represent um, the artist. They work directly with the artist. Um, anyone who wants to work with the artist, they usually will work with management to get to the artist. Um, and I've also only worked for smaller artists. I've never worked with a major label before. I've only worked for like smaller independent labels. But in terms of timeline, you know, I think Kelly's situation is going to be a little, especially this album is going to be a little different because from what it seems, it seems like the album has gone through multiple reincarnations over the last couple of years because we know it was supposed to come out a while ago and then COVID and X, Y, and Z. We won't get into that. But like, so I don't know the answer, but I guess like... God, there's so many variables when you're talking about an album. So, like, they may have had the final album. I don't know. Maybe they had it a couple months ago. And then they need, like, then I would say they need at least, like, I don't know. I'm throwing out random numbers here. But I would say, like, at least two to three months lead time, maybe more, for, like, production and figuring out, like, again, like, the schedules. Like, they have to work – Internally marketing, they have to work out like what they're going to be doing for, you know, a photo shoot. If there's going to be a video shoot for the single, they have to talk about what the first single is going to be. They have to get like all the artwork together. Like, I, again, I'm probably getting ahead of it, but there's like a lot of variables that I would say anywhere from like maybe three to six months, if I had to throw out a number there. Okay. And then prior prior to the single coming out, because everything kind of already has to be in place, like for when the single comes out, like everything's already ready with the album. Sure, they might be making some like final touches, but like they're holding out, I think, right now until they have all of their like T's cross, I's die, whatever you want to do, you know? Yeah. And then with this. So the single is like a good segue, because I'm always curious, like, obviously, at this stage in her career, I can't imagine that there's like anyone forcing her necessarily to put out a song or whatever um but like in general like who and like what factors go into it so i imagine like the label has like an opinion but is that label is that like opinion informed by like they have like a panel of gen zers sitting somewhere <laughs> like test audiences and stuff or is that or like radio even De- jeremy like does radio get like some sort of test run of stuff sometimes uh we've never to my knowledge i don't know any artists that have sent us you know multiple different songs and said which would you like for a single uh i do know that more often than not the label has the single figured out and they do let radio listen to it early on and they they do to the they're what's called record representatives or we call them record reps that are scattered all over the country and they they cover different territories of radio stations and they will go and a lot of times they'll go even uh, now that we're kind of a little more post-COVID, they're starting to come back again. They will come in person and they will bring music with them and they'll say, hey, you know, because they'll usually have multiple artists that they're working all at once from their label. And so, you know, a record rep will come and visit the radio station. They'll want to sit down with the program director and the music director They'll say, all right, here's what I brought for you today. I've got four different tunes. I got a new Kelly Clarkson. I got a blah, blah, blah. I got a boogie with a hoodie. You know, I got, you know, they, they want to talk with like different formats. And so, and they'll play all of the new music for the, uh, the music directors and the program directors and they'll want their input. They'll want their feedback. 
They'd be like, you know, is this a song? First and foremost, they want to know, is this a song that you would play? And they would say, you know, and if they've got multiple stations in the building, they'd be like, oh, well, you know, I could see this on our our top 40 station or I could hear this on our hot AC station. Uh, probably not going to work for this station. But, yeah, you know, I you know, I like it. It's good. Uh, very cool. Um, and then usually the rep will have a little bit of additional information. Be like, OK, you know, we're looking at a June release for the record, uh, probably tour around the same time, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then they, they, they're sort of getting a temperature check. A lot of times, again, the signal, the single is decided there, there's no changing it unless for some reason they take it out to a bunch of radio and radio is just like, Oh, I don't know this is, yeah, it's, it's not really hitting for me. Then those reps can go back and report to their bosses and be like, Hey, this, this single is getting a bad reception at radio. You know, we may want to, I just want to make sure you guys know that. So in case we're hundred percent dead set on this single, um, you know, we might consider pivoting or, you know, they might even decide, okay, well, it's too far down the, down the road at this point, but maybe we'll turn around a second single a lot sooner. Um, that has happened with albums before I me. Mean, we've seen second singles come as, as little as a month later uh, for some songs because the first one stiffs at radio right away. But when it comes to uh, the timeline, um, you know, radio doesn't play a big part in it. Um, it's mostly by that point, they've sort of got everything decided. And you have to remember too, like when I was saying earlier about, you know, Atlantic is doing these big meetings and whatnot, they're also allocating money. They're, they're, they're kind of setting a budget aside. It's like, okay, we've got, you know, X amount of dollars to put towards the Kelly Clarkson release. And that is then allocated to promotion costs, advertising costs, um, if they want to do some kind of a fun kind of a guerrilla marketing uh, thing, think uh, the, the the puzzle piece thing for piece by piece. When that happened, that had to be paid for by somebody. Somebody had to print up those puzzle pieces. Somebody had to allocate the street team to go hide them or whatever. Like, you know, all those little things take money and they have to budget that money for, for various things. And so who knows, you know, with an artist, of the caliber of Kelly on a label, the size of Atlantic, she'll probably get a nice budget for this rollout. Plus the fact that it's her first record in nearly six years. So it's going to be a, a good looking budget. And I'm glad to hear that they're going to be doing some, some different stuff for it. Yeah. And I, I guess to answer your question though, like I guess it is technically, it's usually a label choice about like what the single is going to be. I get, I mean, in certain instances, like when I worked with labels, like, they definitely want management and artist feedback and input, but at the end of the day, it's usually unless like an artist is so is so established or just so um, like really wanting a certain song, but it's usually going to be more of a label choice because they also you know they it's hard you know the artist it's their baby it's their passion project they're going to love it, but the label is going to have a bit more of that lens on like what's going to sell, what's going to resonate with what the current audiences are, you know. Honestly, like, you know, I don't think Atlantic is looking right now to be like, okay, how do we cater to, you know, 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds? Like, that's not really Kelly's main demo right now. Now they're like, okay, how do we get to those, like, core 30, 40-plus, you know, year-old people who have – Geriatric know, millennials. Geriatric <laughs> millennials who ha have been with, you know, Kelly since the beginning of her career and, like, maybe have a little bit of disposable income to go see her on tour rather than, like, a 16-year-old – who that's not her main demo anymore. If you were, we were talking 10, 15 years ago, a little different, but I'm getting off tangent a little bit, but um, 
Anyway, yes. And Jeremy, kind of what Jeremy was saying, there is also, yeah, there's a lot involved in the prep time. There's a lot of money involved in figuring yeah. out where to allocate that, whether that is radio or a promo thing or like, you know, if you're on a website and you see those like digital ads, like there's a lot that goes in to figuring out like where do we put our time and resources prior to even like, and let's, before we even think of like announcing a single. And the, and also going back to sort of one of the original statements that Pam made that sort of triggered you Moni to do this entire episode is you know whether or not they're going to pay influencers to oh, yeah uh to promote the single because I mean that's that's a whole new world when it comes to album and song promotion is now you have to pay people you know people on TikTok yeah. or yeah. on Instagram or Twitter or whatever Instagram yeah you have to it's... you pay people a certain amount of money or you'll pay them in like money and access uh to yeah. use this song in their social media posts to X number of followers. And that's, just, I mean, that's a whole new realm that, that record labels have yeah. had to go into in the last couple of years. It's so new. in the fact that like, you know, I was, I started working in music in 2013. So like all things considered, not that long ago, but like that was not even a discussion until yeah. really COVID. You would be surprised at the small number of people who actually make the decision whether or not to release a song as a single. It's not like they bring the single to an auditorium test and, you know, out of a hundred people, 65 people have voted for this song to be the first single. It's not that way. I mean, it is a very small group of people who decide whether or not songs are going to be a single. I mean, I think we we remember and we've heard the stories from the early parts of Kelly's career. I mean, for all intents and purposes, Live Davis was kind of handpicking a lot of the singles. It was like, because if you if you read his book um, about when he's picking singles for not even just Kelly, but for other artists, it's usually like him and a couple of people in an office and they're listening through the record. They're like, that's a single, that's a single. And so it's it's not this big drawn out process that involves dozens of people. It, it could be an office with just a handful of people picking the singles for an artist's album. So, like, regarding TikTok, they now have these, like, influencer agencies that, like, specifically are for, like, TikTokers and, like, maybe, like, Instagram influencers. This did not exist, you know, 10 years ago where literally, like, a label or probably, I guess, more, mostly a label, maybe management will go and being like, hey, I have a song um, that I would like you to use. And sometimes, you know, they give these influencers, like, the liberty to do what they want with it. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes also... Like, you know how, like, all these, like, dances – I'm going to use the yeah. Megan, the yeah. Megan Trainer song yeah, as an example because yeah, yeah, yeah. we, yep. we all know it and it went viral on TikTok. Now, I don't know the story behind it. Maybe Megan thought of it herself. I have no yeah. idea. But often what happens is, like, basically, the, like, they'll work with these, like, influencer agencies to see, like, what kinds of dances or what kinds of things we can do that are going to go viral with the song and mm. – they'll pick like really big people to try to come up with these ideas and then one will stick and then, then they take off. And then when they pay all these influencers, they're like, Hey, this is the dance we want you to be doing. Here's, I don't know, $5,000 to do a the 60 second video, go do it and blow the song up. It's literally a thing now. And it's so yeah. dumb, but it's, it's brilliant. Well, it's brilliant because, and they talk about this in politics sometimes, of like, you're trying to get, generate free publicity, right? Yes. And that's mm -hmm. what all this stuff is, um, which I just, it, it's its own rabbit hole that we could probably get sucked into 
Now, with all of those different things, so you guys listed like social media and you like we didn't talk about streaming too much, but that plays into it. Micro advertising, radio, all that stuff. Like, I imagine per artist and like what generation they're from, it changes. But like, what what do you think most of the dollars are being put towards these days compared to like maybe ten years ago? I would say streaming. I would say streaming is a big thing right now. Um, a lot of major labels have very close relationships with Spotify, Apple, Apple, Apple Music, things like that. Now, I don't know if like direct money is handed over. Like, I have no idea, but there's definitely like it, it's, it's on purpose when you see all your, all these major huge playlists out there right now. And, you know, the first 50 songs are very popular, big artists. That's on, that's intentional because the labels are paying these streaming services to do that. Um, uh, so I would say nowadays that's a big thing. And I don't want to get too ahead of myself because I know this is going to be a big question later, but I'll just very quickly drop it in. They're also doing it a lot for tour promotions. Yeah. So. Yep. For sure. Yeah. Um, Okay. And Jeremy, we talked a little bit about this offline, but like your gestalt of like your feel of like how things have shifted in terms of like the attention to radio in the streaming era. I'm kind of curious about in terms of all this promotion. Yeah, I mean, look, it's no secret that radio used to wield a lot bigger stick um, as, you know, little as 15 years ago. And that was because radio for most people was their primary discovery device when you were looking for new music. But now, you know, in the streaming age, streaming is where and, and even social media now are places where you discover new music. In fact, I'm I'm hearing new music on social media before I'm even hearing it on our own stations. Um, I know that was my case with Olivia Rodrigo and with the the new Sam Smith song. Uh, those I heard on social media long before I heard them. In fact, when I heard them on the radio, I was like, oh, this is that TikTok song that I've seen, you know, a million different videos for. Uh, but at the same time, Radio is still relevant. Uh, it's still very relevant, actually, uh, with a lot of the audience because, and especially when you and I and I, I do and I don't like referring to Kelly as a legacy artist. But the fact of the matter is, is that she's twenty years into her career, and not every musician, not every band, not every singer gets to twenty years. You know, some of them fade away after an album or two. And uh, then there's the the lucky ones who get longevity. I mean, hell, we're we're sitting here talking about Kelly to the point where, you know, she's five years away from Rock and Roll Hall of Fame eligibility. Let that sink in for a second. Um, So, yeah, just feeling very old. (laughs) So you you have to also understand. And Moni, you made the point earlier where, you know, her art or her fans and her fan base is older as well. I mean, yes, there is a younger fan base and the, the talk show certainly helps that, but there is a, a base of fans who are thirties, forties, fifties, and the older demographics. And when I say older, I mean, you know, kind of thirties and up still very much listen to the radio. And that's where they discover new music because they're not, they're not on TikTok. They're, they're not discovering new music via Instagram. They're still hearing new music from the radio. Now they're also, you know, I'm not going to act like nobody over the age of 30 streams or has a Spotify account and just, you know, listens I to whatever. I stream plenty. In fact, I barely listen to radio, Jeremy. And I find that offensive. Thanks. Thanks for the support, <laughs> Bonnie. We, we, we appreciate it. I, I, 
<laughs> I feel like I'm always railing against you. Like I remember my uh, impossible tirade. Um, oh, yeah. Well, during <laughs> so I apologize. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> Um, but at the same time, like I said, you know, the older demographics are still listening to the radio. They are still a very um, uh, cash heavy, we'll say, uh, demographic. Um, so they they still need to be catered to. And that's why radio is still a very, very relevant medium for uh, for the record labels to go through. Now, we don't get the lion's share of the money like we used to. And when I say that, I don't mean like people are paying us to play their songs. There is some other stuff behind the scenes, which is really, really into the weeds, which I can talk about another time. But um, suffice to say that radio is still very influential in getting the information out about not only albums, but tours as well. Because the one thing that radio has that streaming does not have is live personalities who can sell an, the excitement of an artist coming to a particular market. So. Yeah, you can have, you know, even you can even have Sirius XM giving away, you know, concert tickets, but they're going to give away, you know, tickets to a show in New York or, you know, some sort of central location where, you know, it's just easier for them. Whereas you can have, you know, let's say there was a 25 date tour. You could have radio stations in 25 different cities talking up Kelly Clarkson's new music and the fact that she's coming on tour. And you just simply can't do that with streaming because it's just physically not possible for streaming to do that without like targeted advertising, which again goes back to uh, Pam's point that that's where a lot of that money is being spent because if they're going to advertise with streaming, that's how they have to do it. And it's a whole complicated uh, thing that takes a lot of people yeah. to pull off. Yeah, no, this is a, a bit of an aside, but like, I don't know if either of you had this experience. One of my friends did where she's like a top 001% listener of Blink-182. Mm -hmm. And so they sent her like a pre-sale code on Spotify. Oh, Blink yeah. yeah stuff that's like, like that. that's a thing that like artists are doing now um, when they're setting up tour. I mean, but you, there is actually, I forgot, I feel like, I feel like there is now you have to, artists have to pay, I think, in order to get the pre-sale like those like emails that you'll if you're following yeah. certain artists on spotify i'm pretty sure the artist has to pay because i think i looked into it for one of my old clients and it was like an insane amount of money so I but gotcha. but yeah that's cool that you do have that a, a kind of that fan recognition but again it is still kind of one one-sided yeah and i think that it's all that micro digital stuff yeah so if we can step kind of back towards like the more traditional stuff that you know we grew up dealing with seeing and tv that's like a complete shift from what we were talking about but i just really wanted to figure out like how do they map out one of those promotional tours so from my experience um so often um there will be usually a, a label will have publicists working for them now kelly may also have like another publicist that does non-music really i mean she pro she has one for the talk show that's an nbc person she right. has one for atlantic i don't know if she has like a general one as well that does like other random one-off things i don't know and i bet it's somewhat irrelevant for her now th since it's like we're living in the nothing but clarkson era like i don't think that like they're really entertaining other right networks right so i was just curious how like they pick networks and stuff when that's actually in play so 
I guess we can even talk about like prior Ke- Kelly prior to her NBC thing. So we're talking like 2017 and before that. Um, often appearances, as we all know, often they usually are surrounding a single coming out, an album coming out, a tour coming out. Um, so a publicist. I mean, a publicist is really all about networking. It's all about who they know. So they're going to go around to all of their contacts at all different networks, you know, whether that's, you know, of course, like Kelly's been on H on Good Morning America. She's been on the CBS Morning Show throughout her career. She's been on, you know, MTV stuff and various newspapers or whatever, like a lot of different types of outlets. So they're often going to go and see, you know, who they are, who these publicists already have relationships with. Where has Kelly done really well in the past? What shows have been really – have resonated well with the audiences? Um, and they also have to see who's available, who has openings during – you know, usually there's like a few-day window, maybe a week window of when they're going to be able to do promo in New York or L.A. And they kind of have to see what the availability is. Um, so, like, I remember one of my old clients um, – you know, it worked out really well. They got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a couple, uh, uh, 2019, I think. And that's typically in Cleveland. For some chance of a miracle for me, because I'm selfish, it happened to be in Brooklyn that year. So all promo that we did was in New York, and I actually got to, like, help out. So we were able to do, like, the Series 6M interviews. We got to, to do Jimmy Fallon. And that's just because we happened to be at the right place at the right time, and there was openings and our publicists were able to get that in there. So it's probably similar to Kelly. It's And it's definitely different now because now, like, as we said, nothing but Clarkson. She's definitely tied in with a lot of NBC stuff. So we're probably not going to see her on any um, CBS, uh, ABC uh, shows, like any of those late night shows or even like The Views. We probably won't be seeing that for a bit. Um, I could be wrong, but I don't think I am in this case. But that's my answer. Like- yeah. Yeah, I just feel like the 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 Clarkson like the the Clarkson empire on yeah. NBC has like really I I imagine for Atlantic too it's probably an interesting space to live in. It's probably convenient cuz you, know? you yes. know that you almost have a guaranteed exactly. platform. Yeah. Like you know she's either whenever this new album comes out, you know she's going to be doing at minimum Fallon or Seth Meyers. Probably not Usually both. both. I don't I maybe just, maybe both just different days. Yeah. So yeah. it's going to yeah. be stuff like that and um it's kind of like an awesome guaranteed promo. You like it's an automatic launch, and like I don't know if I'm jumping ahead. If you had a question about this, but I think you know, I think TV is still really important for promo. You know, I know a lot of people, including myself nowadays, like I don't have cable. Um, it's too expensive for me by myself, and a lot of people are in a similar boat. Um, but the beauty of it is that all these clips go viral on the internet. They are all, all – often they're uploaded to YouTube, they're uploaded to Twitter, whatever that might be. So it's still really easy. So even if someone doesn't have access to watch, you know, Jimmy Fallon live, they can see it online a couple hours later and it's still going to do the same amount, if not even more, because people across the world can see it. Yeah. And obviously the different TV markets – give you a sense of like where people are watching like ratings wise yeah and you kind of you can sort of extrapolate that out to i think any part right analytics wise like tv radio audience streaming audience since there's all sorts of stuff there um i kind of wonder what you know it's going to look like this time around because there's so many factors to play in with her specifically yeah i mean it also is going to the the nice thing about kelly being on nbc is that i i feel like nbc might 
get sort of first dibs on what kind of access they get to Kelly. So when they're plotting out uh, all of the TV appearances, and and I think that personally, I think she could end up on other uh, other places just because, yes, she does work uh, at an NBC property. Um, she, you know, they are allowed to go and promote their stuff elsewhere. I mean, you, we see people who have NBC shows on the Colbert show and on Jimmy Kimmel yeah. and that sort of thing. So it might happen. I don't yeah, know, but it's going to be interesting because we haven't really had a ton of promo for an album because the last album was before she was even on the voice. So we yeah. don't really know. Yeah. So it, it was- could also be a case of like, okay, well, cause I mean the today show is, is not even the top rated morning show. I mean, it's good morning America, which is on ABC. So but when it comes to doling out who gets the access to Kelly, NBC might get preferred access. So they might get like a Friday concert series, you know, three song set out in the plaza. But yep. even but even though Good Morning America is the top rated show, they might just get a studio interview and that's it. You know, they, yep. they might say, you know, Kelly's not performing. Uh, we're happy to bring her, you know, bring her by the studio and do a, an interview, but she won't be performing. Great. OK, whatever. They're probably just happy to have her on, happy to fill some time because they've got a three hour show to fill. They got to yeah. they got to have content. So they're not going to argue if they can't get a performance. But because Kelly's in bed with NBC, she's going to get a full plaza concert and get to do, you know, Fallon and, and all the other stuff that uh, that they have access to. And, you know, maybe CBS decides to go a different route. They'd maybe do like a like a long form interview. Uh, like I know the Sunday, like the Sunday morning series. It could even be a and, yeah. and their and even their morning show has been sort of reformatted a bit to where after uh, the eight o'clock hour, they sort of do more long form interviews that are like their Sunday morning program. And they've got a a music guy who will spend a ten. They'll do on TV on a weekday morning. They'll do a ten minute piece on you know the Avit Brothers. I mean, they'll do like yeah. a you know a small band that not everybody knows who they are. So they would certainly extend something like that to Kelly. So again, uh, like Pam said, we have no idea what to expect with this particular album cycle because there are so many new factors with Kelly's relationship with NBC. But at the same time, at at the same time, when Kelly's promoting an album, she's not wearing an NBC shirt while she's doing this. She's wearing, she's kind of wearing the Atlantic Records shirt. So yeah, it's yeah. the Atlantic folks who are the ones going out and booking the appearances, not the NBC people. It's probably going to be either Kelly herself or Kelly's management or, or even possibly the publicity folks from NBC talking to the publicity folks from Atlantic going, hey, can we get first priority on Kelly's appearances because she's in the family? So there's there's a lot more interaction going on. But at the same time, Atlantic just wants to get her out there. They want to get yeah. her in front of yeah. audiences. She want, They want to get her in front of the most eyeballs as they yeah. can. And that's going to mean different network talk shows, morning shows, that sort of thing. And then there's also going to be, you know, some radio promo as well. And, and you know, it's it's really hard for her to, you know, promote an album and promote a tour on every single radio station. So, of course, you know, the Elvis Durans and the Ryan Seacrests of the world are going to get probably first dibs because they have massive audiences in massive markets. But that's not to say that, you know, she's not going to talk to to people uh, in smaller markets. Like I mean, you. Well, I mean, Zoom for the win. I mean, right. Guys. Yes. Come on now. You know, and yes. <laughs> and, and to Pam's point, you know, when she was promoting the piece by piece album and right around the time when the first single came out, she called in to to my radio station. And that was how I got the opportunity to, to chat with her on the phone. So 
I mean, it, yes, it does happen. And, and Atlantic does do that. But at the same time, Atlantic is doing that as a favor to other radio stations. They're not just picking random radio stations being like, hey, do you want to talk to Kelly Clarkson? They're looking at stations who over the history uh, have supported Kelly. And at the time it was RCA when we were working with piece by piece. But, um, you know, RCA looked at our radio station and said, oh, this station has been one that has supported Kelly. They got a lot of spins on all of her various singles. Let's reward them for those spins with an eight minute interview with Kelly to promote the album when she's sitting in a hotel room or a conference room somewhere doing back to back to back to back to back interviews. Man, minds are just being blown <laughs> this whole time. You have to understand, though, I mean, the, the, the promotion of an album and we're, we haven't even gotten to tour yet, but the promotion yeah. of an album for an artist is a exhausting experience. Oh, yeah. And and that's why I think they try to do it in a small window. They try to do it yeah. over the course of like two to three weeks because they are doing a lot of TV interviews. They're doing a lot of uh, magazine slash print interviews. They're doing a lot of on-air interviews and with any luck, podcast interviews. So, <laughs> so that's not, it's a lot. I mean, it's a, and Kelly has said, and she's famous for loving to talk. She loves to do interviews yeah. and loves to talk about the stuff that she's very passionate about. But at the same time, it is a very draining thing to yeah. do to sit there and just talk all day long. I mean, they'll, they'll, when they do like the radio interviews, they'll bank like a three hour span where she just calls radio station after radio station and she'll do 20, 25 interviews. I mean, just imagine yourself sitting on a phone talking continuously for three well, straight hours. I mean, it's about exhausting. the same thing about the same it's thing like, over and over and over again. Yeah, and then after you gotta that, figure out how to make it fresh. Yeah. And yeah, after that, then you got to go to hair and makeup and you got to go and do, you know, Jimmy Fallon or you got to do whatever. I mean, it's, it is a really, really big process to promote yeah. an album um, out on the streets. Yeah, I it. I mean, I agree. And I think if you're a fan like all of us are and we kind of track the entire cycle, you can we usually are able to tell when she's getting close to the end because like we're all, I think, kind of spoiled. In fact, in the fact that she's like always on point vocally. But like, if you remember towards the end of most of her album cycle, like promo cycles, you're like, yeah, I think she needs like a little bit of a vocal rest yeah. here, yeah. <laughs> you know? And like, one of the things I found interesting with the Atlantic switch, and it might've just been that like, she was really excited to work with them and all that stuff. But it felt like it was kind of the first time that in a while that they had let, they were basically just saying like Clarkson's going to market Clarkson, you know? Yeah. Like it didn't, it felt like she got more like, press and more like opportunity to just like go out there and be like yes she was singing from time to time but it just was like it just felt like the interviews and like the things that she was doing was just more about like reintroducing her, her. as the human her the human the person that america fell in love with in 2002 i think you know? like, that's I, a good point because i don't think a lot of people yeah you know, prior to you know the last five six years i don't think people really knew her very well you know maybe they watched her on idol and oh small small hometown girl okay but like over the course of you know that 15 year period like i feel like people didn't know her as a person they knew oh she has a lot of fun like breakup anthems and that's like about it so i it's it's very true i don't know if it was intentional or not but it was really a good marketing thing to reintroduce them and like I don't know. I don't remember exactly, but I think like at that point she also may have known. I don't think it was public, but she may have known that I don't remember, but that she was going to be on The Voice. 
and that like she also kind of had to like sell the persona before she got on the show i don't know but i think she was the mega mentor by that point okay like, she had the season before or whatever so yeah no i just i remember feeling that album cycle just felt so much more her than i remember them feeling in the past and I think I was probably just like starving for Clarkson content. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think that covers album single stuff fairly well. Did you guys have any? I like, think so. Kinda... I mean, okay. I guess the only other thing I was going to mention is that just like you know, just for, like remit, like again, like reiterating the fact that like there are a lot of steps that have to be taken in order um, to even like think of what a single is going to be so again it's really not just like okay i'm gonna write an album record it they'll do all the stuff in the studio we send it off maybe we do a photo shoot and we're done there's a lot more that's involved and there's a lot of there's just a lot of people involved so it's a it's about timing everything properly and making sure everything is correct and also like you have to have lead time for merchandise and printing albums and there's just a lot that's involved um in addition, she also has another job. So yeah, multiple jobs. Multiple. Um, the the last question actually I forgot to ask was, so this is probably going to be a I think fairly safe to say this will be like a spring marketing cycle for her, like promo cycle. Yeah. Um, but like, what sort of factors impact that decision? Like, um, like we talked offline about like other artist dates, and then also like Grammy season. Like, does this mean that? With her schedule, I imagine it's schedule based, but like how an, a re- like a record label's feeling about an album, like when where they place it, stuff like that. I've seen a lot of people getting into sort of Taylor Swift territory when they're trying to figure out the reasons behind why things get put into certain time frames. You know, I saw a lot of people saying, "Well, you know, you know, Breakaway got released around this time, and Piece by Piece got re- released around this time, but but then All I Ever Wanted came out this time." It's there is no consideration to previous album releases as to when the next project gets released. There really isn't. Um, I think if there is ever a time that people sort of try to avoid releasing albums, generally it is around the holiday season and specifically like the month of December, unless you are releasing a holiday project. And, And even then, a lot of Christmas albums get released in like October, November because it's just it's just a it's just a a downtime to release albums you know there's just not a lot of product that comes out in that time span and so outside of that it is fair game the the grammy voting period um is i mean it's almost a year long anyway yeah i think it goes from like i don't know if we're thinking for this instance it goes like i think like october 1st 2022 through September 30th of 2023 to be yeah. eligible for the winter 2024 Grammy Awards. Right. It's yeah. So she's, so yeah. she's never not in a Grammy window. Um, right. You know, I also think that the artist does have a little bit of say into that, in that, you know, they're not always trying for Grammys, you know, I mean, if, yes, if there's an album coming out that the, um, that the label and maybe even the artists really, really want to go for some Grammy consideration, they might put it out closer to the end of the nomination window so that it's more top of mind for voters but otherwise most people don't care and they're just going to they're just going to put it out whenever and so that that is not really a consideration a lot of times it's either to do with the artist's schedule of what they've got coming up when they might want to be touring 
or it's a schedule with the record label themselves because the record label is not just worrying about Kelly Clarkson. She is a cog in a much bigger machine. If you've ever gone to the artist page on Atlantic records, it is massive. There are a ton of artists in their portfolio and a lot of them are all working on new projects that are set to release in 2023. And they've got, the same kind of people working behind the scenes for them that Kelly does for her. And so there is a lot of moving parts in a record label and there's a lot of money being moved around and there's a lot of just coordination that needs to happen because the label is trying to make money. They're trying to, you know, impress investors. And I mean, there's a lot of just businessy lingo that need to go into it, but suffice it to say on a more, like a more macro level, like when it comes to Kelly Clarkson, when her project is ready, they will put it out. And, and, you know, Kelly has said over and over in interviews, I had this material. I have been sitting on it. I have not been ready to release it. And at the end of the day, she ultimately has, and especially with the, uh, the control, I believe that Atlantic has given her now late in her career, she decides when this material is coming out and she decided I needed to be mentally ready for this material. Otherwise we would have had this album for two years. So she's the one right now kind of calling the shots as far as, okay, I'm ready to put this out. And then Atlantic gets moving and they say, okay, let's find out in the calendar what makes the most sense to put out the Clarkson project. And then, you know, this side of the team is going to start working on touring. Yeah. And like occasionally you will see uh like you know say you i'm just throwing on a random date i don't even know what day of the week it is march 4th we're just gonna throw that out there i think it's like a saturday anyway um but like say like that's like the day that like people have in mind and then maybe maybe you're not really there yet to lock in your date but then you just hear of another big artist that just announced that date it depends it's not you know sometimes it's too late and you're like you know we just got to go with the date we have already we're already too far down the line, but sometimes you can switch it if you don't want to have insane competition. Yeah. Cause there's, so. cause you know, if, if you know that there's a, a Beyonce or a Taylor exactly. Swift record or an Adele record coming out the same day, you might move off of that date because you don't want to be lost in the shuffle because when you have a really, really big artist and let's be honest, if you have an artist that you know is bigger than you are, the, the, and the label knows that too, they may not want to try to compete with that because all of the publicity is going to go to that artist. It's not about whether or not you walk into a target and the two records are right next to each other. You might buy one or both. It's the fact of who's going to get more publicity leading up to that album release date. Because we saw that early in Kelly's career. I think it was either, um, it was either all I ever wanted or my December. It was one of the albums that came out, came out the same day as a Miley Cyrus, Hannah Montana project. And everybody lost their minds because Back then, it was all about who's going to debut at number one. Who's going to get the most releases? Oh, damn it. There's a there's a Hannah Montana record coming out the same day as the Kelly <laughs> I album. I remember that. Oh, yeah. People lost their minds because they're like, crap, she's going to win because all the kids are buying it. And sure enough, the Hannah Montana record beat Kelly in sales by, you know, a couple thousand. And Kelly would debut at number two because it, that was back when everyone was so worried about, you know, rankings and whatnot. And that's another thing, too. And, and, and I'll very, talk very, very briefly about this. Record labels pay attention to that, not only with single uh, impact dates is what they're called when the dates they want radio to start playing the song, but it also has to do with album releases because record labels do want things to debut or to, to chart very highly. Um, There, there's something called impact dates for radio singles in that they will send a single to radio 
And radio really doesn't have to listen to anybody, but the labels really want radio to be playing particular songs. Radio could choose to play whatever they want, but the the labels are the ones that are saying, hey, don't please don't play that song. We want you to focus on this song because they want as many stations playing a song all at once so that they get the most ads for the week. They want to see 150 stations add Kelly Clarkson's new single all at once so that she's the most added of the week. And then that begets more ads from other stations that sort of waited to see who's going to play it first. And then it's like, okay, let's see how quickly we can get the song to zoom up to the top of the charts. I got to say, if Kelly debuts at number one with the new single, while yes, that's really great, that's really impressive, it's not as impressive as it used to be. It's a lot easier to debut at the top of the chart nowadays than it ever used to be because there's way more factors involved, including streaming. Same thing when it goes for albums. They want to look at the calendar to see who else is out there because they really want that album to debut at number one. So they don't want any other random competition. They don't want to compete with an Adele or even a Carrie Underwood album. Like they want to make sure that Kelly Clarkson is the biggest name that's coming out on this date so that we have the best chance of debuting number one. Yeah. And also with just with the chart stuff, it's like there is so much more competition now, but like, it's also like back in the day when Apparently, the only way to get heard and get was to be on a major label. And now you're getting all these people that are getting famous on TikTok or they're independent on SoundCloud or whatever that might be. They may be getting it. So there's just way more competition. And so it's charts are definitely important, but it's definitely not like the factor like it used to be. Yeah. Now there's honestly streaming numbers are more important. They're more impressive. Mm-hmm. So for sure. Yeah. No, I think all of this, though, is as Jeremy said when we we're talking offline. Every time a song is played, it's really just a commercial, right? Yeah. And the biggest like factor or the biggest thing that especially record labels care about are, are tours, right? So while we're talking about this machine of the album single rollout, I imagine at the same time, the tour is sort of getting put together. So walk us through like how far out and then again, who's running point on that? Yeah. So in terms of... Okay, so... In the more recent uh, years of um, the music industry, this is not how it's always been, but a lot, you know, especially once like, you know, Napster and things like that kind of took over and record labels were like, oh, no one's buying albums anymore. We need to make money. So what they're doing a lot with a lot of artists is something called the 360 deal. So, and I don't know if Kelly, I mean, I don't know Kelly's specific contract, whatever, but a lot of artists, what they'll, they'll do now is like, Atlanta Records will be like, okay, we're going to allot for, I don't know, I'm going to throw out a number, $2 million. I don't know. And we're going to use that budget for kind of what we said before, all the promo stuff, whether that's like, you know, even like wardrobe that she's going to be doing and travel and, you know, online ads or whatever, I know, grassroots ads or merchandising, pressing albums, all things that are going to be like promotional vehicles as well um they will also help promote a tour because that's where the money's being made right now so every everyone who and i'll get into this a bit more but everyone who's really upset that tickets cost so much money nowadays i understand your concern but that's the only way artists make money today um so to answer your question on like you know when and who's involved as far as the when goes i usually like they're working on the dates now. Um, obviously, like tour dates aren't always announced when an album's announced. It's, you know, obviously, like a lot of times a tour will be announced a few weeks or a couple months later. 
Um, but it's always in it's always in the works when you're in the midst of a album creation or album when you're in that final stages of figuring out when the album and the, the singular are going to come out they're also routing a tour on the side and they're planning the tour so that being said people who are in charge of the tour dates explicitly booking them are booking agents booking agents will route tours and i can get it if any if we're interested i can get into that in a minute but um they're working with management to see you know the artist availability um, and I guess they're working with labels as well, um, about like what, which, which, which markets that they need to hit up, which, which cities. So they'll work with labels to, um, determine top cities for radio support. That's a big thing. Which Jeremy can speak on a bit later and also looking at, um, streaming places. Like there's a cool tool called Spotify for artists that you can see, um your top cities that you get streamed in and like how many streams you get and in demographics and it's a lot of really interesting data that the label has access to so they're really working you know management and the agencies and the label are all kind of working together to see okay when can we do this where do we want to go what kinds of venues do we want to figure out and then it's up to the agent to contact different venues in different cities to see like who has availability and figuring out contract prices and all that fun stuff um, that being said, going back to that 360 deal, now, often what happens is that there's also a lot of money that's getting pushed to promote tours because that's where the money is made these days. So a lot of times an artist will have to pay the label back for that money, basically called recoupment. They have to pay them back for a lot of the money and then they get paid. So just, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's a science. <laughs> All and again, like, Benjamins. I don't know Kelly's specific instance, but that's just from yeah. my experience. All about the Benjamins. Yeah. And, and also, you know, to, to sort of add on to what Pam was talking about when they're picking certain cities. Yeah. The, the streaming numbers play a lot into it. Uh, there's also radio airplay and album sales as well. Record labels have all of that access to all of those numbers for everything when it comes to just how much an artist is supported in a city. They also know the cities themselves and they know what venues are available in each city. And so Kelly might be, or Atlantic might be looking at uh, routing a tour and they see that, you know, she does really well with airplay and album sales and uh, streaming numbers in St. Louis, but then they go to route the tour and they just, you know, the venues that they are choosing. And at that point they kind of know, okay, we're either going to do theaters or we're going to do arenas or that sort of thing. Um, they might look and say, well, there are no availabilities whatsoever in St. Louis. So even though she has a lot of support in that city, she might still get passed over. That city might get passed over for, you know, maybe Kansas City has still some decent numbers, but they've got an available venue and it's not that crazy of a drive from St. Louis to Kansas City. So maybe the Kansas City market will get some of the bleed over from St. Louis. And so we'll book a show there. So they're. Yep there are a lot of different puzzle pieces that have to fall into place yeah. in order for an artist to get a show in your city. Yeah. And also like, so I guess like a big question is like, how far in advance are they doing this? If you're doing it specifically like for, uh, cause like, obviously like artists will go on tour, whatever they don't have to actually be promoting anything. That's like the kind of the beauty of touring is you can kind of do it whenever, but usually it's in the support of an album. Um, I mean, they're planning that before a lot often the album is even announced. So like, 
as we stand or sit here right now, like we don't have any single news. We don't have any album news. We don't have any tour news. Most of it's probably just getting finalized right now. Yeah. I'm not not saying that like the tour is going to get announced whenever the single or the album gets announced, but at least they'll have the idea of like when it's happening and it's all in, you know, there's a lot of logistics as well that has to yeah. go into this, you know, it's not also, it's not just a matter of just like booking, uh, you know, the agents contacting all these venues to see who has availability, but you also, yeah, you have to figure out like contracting prices. There's a lot of mileage consideration you have to do within uh, in between each city because a lot of them have clauses where you can't perform within a certain mileage with yeah. a certain amount of days prior or after called radius clause. That's fun. Um, yeah, you know, you mentioned that. I remember with the Meaning of Life tour, like Kelsey Ballerini had her own tour, Jeremy, and you mentioned how like they were waiting to announce. Yep. All the other, she had to play that show before they would even announce that she was coming back. Yep. 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 I remember that that was like a little weird one. And then, you know, you have to think about like, okay, well, what are we actually going to be doing? Like, are we going to be doing like a full show? Yeah. So you also kind of have to think of the venue size and thinking like, what are we going to do in terms of production and things like that? Yeah. And that, uh, that brings me, and I don't mean to steal the the hosting back from, uh, from Moni here, but uh, I know we got asked on Twitter um, for some questions during this particular episode. And our friend Stephanie asked the question about how the artist or the people behind the artist might choose certain types of venues for the different tours. And I know, Pam, you can probably speak pretty well to that. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of reiterating what I said before, a lot of it has to do with data on um, a lot of its streaming numbers, where radio, that sort of thing. Um, and also looking at – and the agent will also her, – her agency is – she's part of CIA. So her agent at CIA will look at past sales history. You know, how did we do in this market? Um, how did – you know, how many tickets did we sell? Do we think it was too big of a venue, too small of a venue? Can we do something else? So um, there's a lot of variables. And also, you know, say, for example, Kelly's going to play New York City. And I don't know. They're like looking to – they're talking about – uh, Radio City, Madison Square Garden, Barclays Center, Jones Beach, all these places. Maybe they really want to play the garden, but someone else has already put in interest for that day that they have slotted in from New York. So what they'll do is they'll put Kelly on like a first hold. So basically if that first artist that already has that date claimed like has to pull out, then like Kelly would get first access to that date. But at the same time, they're still shopping around different venues as well in the city to see what's available. And they may go instead, all right, you know what, we're going to do Barclay Center instead, um, things like that. So did I answer that? What what, what yeah. exactly was her question again? I mean, they were they were trying to say, you know, how do they pick the size of venues oh, uh, that they do, which you I mean, you you sort of started down that road. Yeah, I mean, I guess the My December Tour is a great example of that. Oh, because, my God. Like, the My December Tour is the is the prototypical <laughs> example. Yeah. So during the breakaway era, she played a lot of different size venues, but it was all like really successful and big venues and, you know, some theaters, but also amphitheaters. It was very all over the place. But because yeah. she was like such a superstar in 2005, I mean, we all have heard that just like management and labels, there's, there's just a lot of a lot of messiness going on in 2007. But they booked her in arenas for that tour in 2007. And that like Clearly, we all know the album, like commercially, like wasn't like the biggest success. So they had to like sc- they realized the tickets weren't selling. They scraped it, or scrapped it, whatever, and then decided to do small theaters. So a lot of it, it's hard. You it, a lot of it can can be a gamble. I mean, there's certain artists like the Beyonces and Adele's and the Taylor Swifts where you know they're going to sell out whatever venue they play. You know they're going to. 
But for a lot of artists, it's a gamble on like figuring out, did we do well in the past? Or do we want to take a risk and see if we can get um, like a really big venue? And I think we had another question about yeah. how an artist picks support. Yeah. And this is – yep. I'm gonna. That was Anna. That was Anna AJ Broadstreet. Amazing. Okay, so I'm gonna answer that in this as well. So it depends. Like for example, I think Jeremy and I had said recently, like if Kelly like played just her on the Meaning of Life tour, maybe just had Bryn. I don't know if the venues would have sold out. Those were very impressive, large venues for Kelly that I don't think she's really done before on like a full tour scale. The fact that she brought in Kelsey who has like a pretty substantial fan base was brilliant because it brought in a lot more tickets. So in, in terms of how opening acts are chosen, there's a lot of factors. Number one, in Kelly's case, relationships. She was already friends with Kelsey. She's friends with Bryn it, and it worked out. It worked out. But keeping in mind that like Kelsey's, they also need to have someone that's going to bring in tickets. They need to bring in that fan base. And that's what Kelsey was able to do. Um, now, sometimes artists will open up the opening act, you know, opportunity to whomever. So that that being said, if you're part of a, if you're part of an agency, you know, if you um, get booked by CAA or William Morris or APA, any of these agencies that book concerts, sometimes there will be an internal memo within agents, you know, that will be like, here are the opening slots that we have right now. So it'll be like. Kelly Clarkson, I don't know, like 25 city dates, summer 2023. Guys, I literally don't know nothing. I'm just like spewing this out. Um, <laughs> 2023, um, all, you know, East Coast, West Coast, a few Midwest and Southern dates and looking for up, you know, uh, venues will be like 10 to 15 capacity. We're looking for artists that have that can sell X amount of tickets or have this amount of followers or this amount of whatever. And then you can submit your artist for that tour. So I had an instance, one of my clients um, opened up for the Counting Crows back in 2015 and did like the whole amphitheater tour. And they were like the baby band. They were like the Bryn Cartelli of the Meaning of Life tour. They were like the, the first act to go on. And that was a combination of relationship with the Counting Crows already, but also a submission. And be like, hey, we can bring X amount of tickets to this market based on previous history that we know we do. So, again, yeah. there's another science to it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I think you probably said this earlier, but all this talk of money made me realize I didn't ask specifically. So when you're booking a venue, do you have to pay them to use that space? How does that work? Great question. Okay. Um, <laughs> some of my coworkers, because I don't work in music anymore, some of my coworkers asked me this recently and they were just like, oh my God, this is wild. We didn't know. I'm like, great, I can educate someone because <laughs> I never have anyone to talk to about this. So thank you for bringing this up. Anyway, basically what happens is like, okay, Kelly is going to get booked at Madison Square Garden and I literally don't know what she gets paid for concerts. Let's just say she's getting paid like $300,000 for the concert. I don't know. So basically, typically what they'll do is like the garden will – they'll probably pay it like – they'll probably do half a, de a deposit before the show. So they'll pay $150,000 before the show, like a few weeks beforehand, maybe a few months beforehand. And then she'll get the other remaining half uh, like a day or so after the concert. Okay. But to answer your question, the artist does not have to pay 
anyone. They the the venue will pay the artist to play. And in return, the venue has to make up the money. And that's why your tickets are so damn expensive. Is because and that's why your beer costs twenty dollars. It's because the venue has to make that money back because there's they give a uh, a guarantee to an artist, hey, we're gonna pay you this amount of money. And then the venue has to make the money back. And like sometimes a lot of venues will also take like a, a cut of merchandise because they need to make the money back. They'll do that. So that's that's not all venues do that, but a lot of them do where like they'll take anywhere usually between ten and between ten and twenty five percent of the merch sales of that night, they'll take a cut of it. Um usually they they may provide their own seller. The artist may provide their own seller, it depends, but um they will take a cut of that that money as well. And um yeah, if the shows don't sell out, the venue takes a hit. Well, that explains why my Dua Lipa hoodie was a hundred dollars. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. yeah, and that's what I was gonna say <laughs> is that, you know, and especially too when when these uh three sixty deals started to come around, uh in some cases the labels also get a cut of a little bit of everything too. So that's why you're paying a hundred dollars yeah. for a Dua Lipa yeah. hoodie. $40 for a t-shirt with just, you know, text on it because yep. a lot of people are getting little pieces of that pie. And yes, the artist generally gets the lion's share of it. And when Pam says that, you know, Kelly gets $300,000 for a show, that not is her. Yeah. It's not just her. Like you're paying $300,000 for Kelly Clarkson to come and play your arena. That pays for Kelly Clarkson. That pays for Jason Halbert. That pays for the rest of the band. That pays for the crew. That pays for the drivers, the truckers, everything. Travel. Yes. Um, everything. And also, exactly, yeah, paying recruitment back to the label because you have to make up that $2 million that the label put out when they were promoting the album. And now they're promoting the, the tour heavily, so they need – their money back in, in their pockets. So, now, and and I know that, uh, and I know Pam was just pulling a, a number out of the thin sky. But, oh, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I'm willing to. I mean, most artists do get, especially larger artists that very easily sell out arenas. Uh, they very much get way more than three hundred thousand dollars. I mean, I would say I would be willing to bet that Kelly probably commands at least half a million dollars per show, depending on the size and scale of the show too. Like yeah. if if a band comes out and decides they're just going to have a stage with some lights, then the production costs on the show are much lower. Therefore, the tickets can be lower. But if you get a big spectacle show, all of the reputation tour, first or of meaning all, a life tour. Or, meaning meaning of, life tour, or meaning of life tour, you've got to have a larger venues and b larger ticket, uh, ticket prices. And that's also why, like, you know, they did the VIP packages for meaning of life because they are pretty you know like low cost to produce i mean like you know we got like yeah. the blanket and then like there was like the pre-show thing and like yeah there it definitely costs money to like all those travel cases when they were showing up all her like dresses throughout the years that's an expense and like the food and the drip whatever but like um it was an easy cash grab i would probably guess that when you add in the number of bar stools that were sold for the entire tour and then you put in the costs for everything that they did for those VIPs. I would be willing to bet that roughly twenty, somewhere in the range of twenty to fifty dollars of your ticket went to the expenses to make your experience happen. Because so, blankets oh, are yeah. cheap, to, blankets are cheap to produce, wine glasses are cheap to produce, lanyards are even cheaper to produce. The journal. Then you just get some display cases, which hell, in some cases, might have been rented, and the rest of that is pure profit. Yeah. But that yeah. cost yeah. all goes back to paying the artists and paying for the show itself. 
Yeah, exactly. And and Jeremy, just to loop radio back in, I, I remember as a kid always listening for all those promotions of like, if you guess how many miles from here to Nebraska, <laughs> we'll send you to Nebraska to get to see Justin Timberlake or NSYNC or whatever. I think it was NSYNC. Yeah. Um, like, how does, like, is that the label giving you the ticket? Like, how does that work? Uh, promotional uh, giveaways or comp tickets for events either go through the, they can go through the record label or they can go through the local promoter for the show. Every venue and every city has a local promoter who is the one who sort of works with the booking agency to make the show happen. So you've got a local guy, Joe, who books, who is allowed to book shows at the arena and at the amphitheater and at the small theater. And he gets a call from the booking agent for a particular artist. They say, Hey, We've got Kelly Clarkson coming on tour. We've got uh, these three dates available. Are any of your venues available? And they say, yes, I've got an arena available. That seems to fit the the show that you're looking for. Okay, great. We're going to give, you know, we're going to get this all set up, blah, blah, blah. So now once that show is announced and they start, they put the tickets on sale, this is all the job of the promoter, the local promoter, because they have to make the money to pay for this show. Um, in some cases, the venues act as their own promoter. I know that our arena works with both local promoters and they are a promoter themselves. And but also it's like really- Live, Live Nation is technically a promoter and that's, on yes. like a major, that's a major scale, but yeah. Yeah, but a lot of times it's it's the booking agents uh, or it's the promoters in the markets that are putting the money up for these shows and they're the ones that are trying to recoup some of the money. But either way, uh, every show is sort of um, they they decide how many comps they're going to get for the show. And there's there's lots of different comps that are thrown around. The band uh, themselves get their own sort of uh, stack of comps for every show. So if they have family in the area or they have friends or whatever, they have a, a list. And usually when those tickets don't go used, uh, that's why sometimes like you'll get really good tickets when you buy them, like at the last minute at the box office or whatever. That's usually yep. because the artist hold is let loose after like, you know, maybe three or four hours before a show when they know they're not going to use them. Or in some cases, it's a couple of days before the show. The artist realized, hey, we're not going to use 80% of these tickets um, for our hold for that date. Go ahead and release them. And that's why you'll either go to the box office and get really great tickets at the last minute. Or sometimes the venues will come out and say, hey, we just had really great seats released for this show. Come and get them while they last. That's usually an artist hold that's been released. So then you've also got a promoter who is willing to eat a little bit of their profits by giving away comp tickets. And it depends on the show, really, as to how many comp tickets you're going to get. You know, some people want to just what's called paper the arena. They want to Nubo, fill, Nubo, yeah, right? The, yes. Nubo the, Festival. Yes. And I can talk about that in a second. But a lot of times, uh, you know, they just want to get butts in the seats because those people buy concessions and they buy merch. And that's the real uh, profit margin or the big profit maker there is those two things. So, cause then again, just like Pam was talking about earlier, when, um, when people make money off of shows, sometimes you will even get the artist and the, uh, even up to the label can actually make money off of concessions. It's, it's rare in some venues, but it does happen. I mean, they, there are deals struck for all different reasons to make money off of shows and you never know where all this money's going. Again, that's why you're paying six bucks for a, you know, for a Coke and $12 for a beer. Um, but either way, um, there will be comps for every show and a promoter has to decide, okay, I've got a hundred tickets for this show that I can give out 
to whomever I want. And so radio stations will write up proposals and they'll say, hey, we're going to do um, A, B, C, and D contests to promote your show. A contest is going to promote the on sale. And so for that, we'd like a 54321. And that's like a, a normal contest where a radio station will give away tickets in the fifth, fourth, third, second, and first row. And they usually do it like Monday through Friday. Friday is the first row tickets. Monday was the fifth row tickets. So the promoter will be like, okay, I'll get you a 54321 for that. And then um, I'll also, and then they'll do, say, okay, we want to do three other contests between the announce of the show and the day of the show. And for that, we're going to need a total of 20 pair of tickets. It's like, okay, well, there's 40 tickets for that radio station. So now I've got 60 more tickets. Well, here's another radio station that wants 10 pair of tickets. Okay, I can allocate that. As long as the promoter is seeing value and that the the people who are giving away the tickets are talking about the show, it's just free publicity. I mean, all, they're doing it for publicity for the show because every time that I go on the air and I give away a pair of tickets, case in point, we've got a a journey show coming up in my market and they gave us, you know, however many tickets they gave us, but for every one pair of tickets, which might cost a total of, I don't know, 200 bucks, let's say they're getting dozens of mentions about us giving those tickets away. And each one of those mentions has a promotional value. Every radio station says, okay, you know, it's like a, you know, $20 value. Every time we talk about your show, and so over time, the amount of pr promotion that that show is given far outweighs the cost of the tickets. So the promoter sees that value and they're like, okay, you are talking a lot about my show to people who will not win tickets to the show, but maybe are considering buying tickets to the show. So the more they hear about this show, the more it's top of mind for them. And they're like, God, I keep hearing the radio talking about that journey show. Should we just buy, should we get tickets? Should we go to the ticket? I'll try to run them off the radio, but if we don't win on the radio, do you want to just buy some tickets? Okay, cool. And therein, the, the promoter has succeeded in their goal <laughs> of, you know, when the promoter gives away, you know, 20 pair of tickets, 20 people win those tickets, but there's probably 10,000 people who heard them talking about the concert and the opportunity to win tickets. So you're, you're getting your money back by all these other people saying, you know what? I keep hearing people talk about that show. I want to go see it. Now, again, depending on the size of the, the artist, you might have far fewer amounts of tickets that are available. Taylor Swift is probably not going to have a ton of tickets to be given away for her shows. And there, in some cases, those tickets actually have to be purchased by uh, either the radio station in some cases, or maybe, you know, somehow they've got to be paid for. Someone's paying for these tickets. Everybody is paying for the tickets because the artist is getting paid no matter how many tickets get sent out. Now, going back to the whole papering places, if a show is not selling, and the the great example is the Nubo Festival, which is one of the one of the uh, one of the last times I saw Kelly. Actually, it was it was before the Meaning of Life tour, but um, she played this big festival in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and it was a big financial failure. We've talked about it on the show before, um, but they needed to get people in the door so that they could make their money back because they paid a lot for Kelly. I mean, I've I've heard it's in somewhere in, the, in between one and $2 million for Kelly to play that show. And the reason oh she God. got, yeah. And the reason she got so much money is because it was an unknown entity. If you have an unknown, like festival, festival dates are the highest payers for oh, artists. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. will, they will pay out the nose because they know they'll make their money back because festivals make money. They make a lot, and, but only if you do them correctly. If you, you do them correctly, lose an, lose an insane amount of money. I had artists oh, that, were sure. to, that, were, that were supposed to play Woodstock 50. 
So yeah, yeah. There's, that didn't happen. There's some that, nope. you know, that just... Musical fire festivals. Ex- yes, yeah. yes. I mean, there's a lot of festivals that that go down in flames. And then there's others uh, like your Coachellas and your Bonnaroos that are very successful. And they are in Lollapalooza. Like, they are cash cows. So they will pay a lot for the artists. And that's why they get these really huge, big names to uh, headline their festivals. Um, but... This was a it was the first year event. Nobody knew it from Adam. And so the the artists and the agencies are a little more leery about making sure that they're going to get their money. So they charge more. And these festivals are desperate for people to come to their festivals. So they will pay those prices so that they can get a big act. And so they way I mean, I don't want to say they overpaid for Kelly, but they way overpaid for Kelly. And then in order to get their money back. Because they saw they weren't selling tickets. I mean, I think they actually sold like three thousand tickets for Kelly, but they gave another probably like seven to eight thousand away. So they just want butts in the seats because they want those people buying beer, they want them buying hot dogs, and they want them buying pops. So and they want them buying pops, merch. So that, you're so Midwest. I know, I know. So <laughs> very specific. So they, they want them buying all the stuff inside the venue so they can try to recoup some of their money. Another thing too that uh, that I've seen recently is artists being labeled Groupon artists because, oh. and and this is a way that a lot yeah. of people have sort of figured out. And this is like the regular consumers have figured out that concerts aren't selling well is when, a, when a show shows up on Groupon, because yeah. that's when you can go and get like two Cardi B tickets for $20. Well, they're just, again, they're just trying to get people in the seats. They, they still want to yeah. make a little bit of money off the tickets. They don't want to necessarily paper, uh, the market with free tickets, but they want to try to get something. And I may not be wanting to go to the Cardi B show for 80 bucks a ticket, but for $20 for two tickets, I will absolutely go. And don't get me wrong. <laughs> the seat, the seats are trash and they're, you know, they're the upper level yeah. seats, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they're still getting a little bit of money from these people who, again, they buy merch. So it's all about seeing how you can get money as best as possible. There's, there's all different ways that they figure out the true value for the tickets that you're giving away. Yeah, I mean, I remember that this is, um, it was ended up being the last show of the Piece by Piece store was the Atlanta show. I had tickets, didn't go, but I realized it wasn't selling well when that popped up in my Groupon for what, for whatever reason, you know, like that we are, we've talked about, you guys have talked about how Pentatonix like was a big, yeah. thing, but you know, some, mar- uh, some markets just, they aren't fruit, fruit fruitful. Yeah. And by the way, I wasn't throwing shade at Cardi B. She's a specific example. There was a there was a whole article that was just recently published about Groupon artists, and they used really? Cardi Cardi B as a specific example. So I'm not throwing shade well, at her for any. Pointed state. that feels pointed for some reason. I'm not gonna. Comment on that. <laughs> but they, yeah, I mean, and she even said like, I don't mind, like I don't mind being a Groupon yeah. artist. So there are some artists who are well, totally fine with it. Well, it's kind of like I, I. So I, I don't know if either of you have this. I don't know if AMC is a big theater for you guys in either where you live, but like AMC is pretty big here, and so I have a membership where I pay like twenty three bucks a month, and I can watch three movies a week, and that is like a steal. But then if I'm at all hungry or want to drink or alcohol, whatever, it's like more than pay. You know, like I pay end up paying more than the ticket price every time. So it's like the same concept, I think, for all. Yeah. Of yeah. But also for the, you know, just for the Groupon thing as an example, but like, it's also like a nice alternative for those who really can't afford like a really expensive yeah. ticket, but just like want to yeah. see the show. I think that's a really awesome alternative. But I'm fortunately, I'm sure the writer of the article did not see it that way. Yeah. And again, you know, no, people, sure. people see um, either radio stations continually giving away tickets to a show. And when a show shows up in Groupon, 
even the general public is pretty smart and they're like, oh, wow, this show is not selling. If it's, you know, if they keep giving away tickets on the radio or they are putting it on Groupon. And that's the thing you that's what you run the, the risk of every time you put on a tour when, you know, the, you know, inside if you unless you're like the top one percent of artists, as I said, who like, you know, you're going to sell it out. But like most artists these days are not like that. So it's you're always running a risk. Um, and it's really scary. It's a really scary thing. No, it. No, and we've alluded to this earlier where like this, we, we don't know how the talk show impacts any of this, right? Because like how much of that is going to translate into actual ticket sales? It's it's never been done, right? Everything about this stage of Kelly's career is uncharted for any artist. And so I think it's it's just fascinating. I mean, we saw, you know, you know, Oprah went out on a, you know, a, a tour, you know, a speaking tour where she was interviewing people. And this was after her talk show was yeah. over, but it was also it was Oprah. So, you know, lots of people wanted to come out and see her. So, yeah, you're right. This is completely uncharted. We don't know what it's like to have a touring musician who has a daily talk show go out. So I think that, you know, first of all, the Meaning of Life tour, although it is very far in the rearview mirror as far as touring life is concerned, that was very uh, encouraging because Kelly, even though she did have some very strong or a very strong uh, opening act, she was still selling out arenas and and all of the shows sold out. So that bodes very well for the next tour. And chances are, you know, she's, they're not going to be worried as much about uh, the success of the album. Because again, we've said this on the show a lot. Kelly is now a greatest hits artist, especially, you know, if she does, you know, if, if Vegas comes back, then that's not going to be, uh, you know, a bunch of songs from the new album. That's going to be a greatest hits spectacular with maybe one or two songs from the new album mixed into it. Um, when you're out on tour, that's when you can have more liberty to do, uh, you know, some of your new material. Uh, just like, you know, she played half the Meaning of Life album uh, on the Meaning of Life tour. But if that were to have been a residency where people are traveling to one city to see this sort of spectacle show, that's going to be a whole greatest hit show. Yeah. And I also I mean, the Meaning of Life tour, I think, also did really well because she had been on The Voice for about a year at that yep. point. Yep. So she was definitely going into more households. Now, if we get something this summer, we're going to be getting not only the new album and The Voice and the talk show. Yep. So we're going to have a lot. There's. There's going to be like a bit more competition like, for tickets because she is that much. She keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So I don't know what this is going to mean for like accessibility for, for everyone getting tickets. That's the big thing is that the demographic of the audience is going to change because now you've got. And when I say this, I'm not saying this in any sort of disrespect. It's just this is what it is. You're going to have like stay-at-home moms, housewives, little old, you know, ladies who love Kelly Clarkson. They love that talk show of hers. She's just a little spitfire. Like they, <laughs> they love that show. And so they're going to want to come and see her in concert because they are going to fully expect the same presentation of her talk show, like the same sort of level of excitement in a concert. It might be a little more than that, but she has now, opened herself up as a, as a talk show host, she has opened herself up to a huge new demographic that may have already known who she was, but didn't get to see the musical side of her or, or even, you know, the personable side of her. So yes, I agree with Pam. There's going to be a lot more competition uh, for tickets because now it's not just going to be the super fans coming in for those tickets. It's going to be voice fans and talk show fans who are all vying at the same time for those tickets. Now, again, if we're talking about a Vegas style show, uh, then you're also going to have 
talk show fans, voice fans, mega fans, and just people in Vegas looking for something to do. Now, those people tend to not buy their tickets ahead of time. A lot of times they'll buy them maybe a couple weeks before they go because they're like, oh, we got to look for something to do in Vegas. Oh, my God, Kelly Clarkson's playing over at Planet Hollywood. We should get tickets. Like, I I went to a, a, a show at a bachelor party when I went to Vegas once. We bought the tickets the night of. We were just like, oh, crap, yeah. this band's in town. <laughs> I mean, Let's that's go. classic, yeah. And so, you know, you're, you're going to get tickets that way. So, uh, and honestly, Vegas relies a lot on the, like, walk-up audience. Yeah. yeah, they, I mean, yeah, I would, sure. I'd be willing to bet that 20% of every show every night in Vegas is people who just decided that night they were going to go see that person. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I was going to segue into the possibility of how everything changes if this ends up being Vegas, but I just have to make an aside, Jeremy, every time you have one of those disclaimers, I feel like I just know what your DMS look like. (laughs) And I'm not doing, and I don't say it to be disrespectful. It's just, it is what it is. I mean, that's, that is, it's real life. You know, there are, there are people who, stay at home and they watch TV, they have it on because they're, you know, they might be a stay at home mom. And so they've got other things they're doing around the house and they've got the TV on. And now every day they're getting exposed to Kelly Clarkson when they were never seeing her before. Maybe they occasionally saw her on the voice or they remember hearing her song on the radio. Now they're getting daily exposure and that's how she's making new fans are these people that weren't hyper aware of her because I think a lot of us as fans forget because we're too close to it. We like, to, we say that a lot in the industry. You're too close to it. You're thinking about it all the time. You know, Pam and I are too close to Kelly Clarkson because we have a podcast about her and it's our job to know everything that's going on or know as much about everything that we can going on. We're too close to it, but the people, there are people out there who surprising as it is, don't think about Kelly Clarkson every day, but the talk show helps people keep her top of mind awareness because her name and her face and her music or her singing at least is getting out there in the world every single day, five days a week. And to close it out, promotionally speaking, how does this change if it does end up being some sort of a Vegas situation? Like, I think everything we just talked about probably goes out the window, right? Like, a lot easier, not, that's for sure. It's it's going to be a <laughs> lot easier because they don't, um, they wouldn't have to you know, when you're when you're preparing for a tour, you have to, you know, the agents are going to be working directly with venues on like specific marketing plans. So you have to work with like 30 different venues on all what they're going to be doing for marketing, 30 different venues to coordinate on sale dates, pre-sale codes, all logistics for VIP, whatever. When you're just doing one venue, you just have one venue to deal with and it's a hell of a lot easier you have a lot of dates but it's very easy it's the cost will go down a lot i mean yes it could be a much bigger show production wise but the costs go down with the less travel and uh so i would say a lot some of it would be different but some of the principles are still similar okay yeah and as far as promotion is uh when it comes to radio and and i'll even throw in like satellite and and maybe spotify i don't know if they don't do i don't know i don't see a lot of contesting going on through spotify so i don't know no. if they will but what you'll have is like there's a pretty good chance that atlantic is going to be involved a little bit more when it comes to the vegas show and there's a good chance that atlantic is going to have a set of holds or uh, available tickets to them for every single night of a vegas show and 
those are their tickets to do with whatever they choose. So if they want to spiff some radio stations or, you know, maybe there is a, a station that, you know, wants a pair of tickets because chances are, you know, there's no station out there that's going to get, you know, five pair of tickets to Kelly in Vegas. Um, not even like I would even say maybe not even the local Vegas radio stations uh, possibly, but if there was anybody, it would be them, but even maybe not them, but there would be, you know, a radio station will get approached by the label and say, Hey, and this is especially good for um, around the time that you're promoting a new single and promoting a new album is, Hey, uh, we've, you know, we saw you haven't added this Kelly Clarkson song yet. If you guys add the song, I can guarantee you guys a pair of tickets to the Vegas show. Um, and we'll even pay for uh, airfare and hotel. So yeah. the label is the late. So now the label, and again, this goes back into the promotion money. Um, the label's going to pay for, uh, you know, a, a contest winner's flight with a friend plus a hotel stay um, in which, you know, the label might work with whichever hotel she's performing at. Um, you know, they might have a Atlantic might let's, let's just go with the original hotel in planet Hollywood. Uh, Atlantic might work with planet Hollywood and have a block of room set aside for each night of the performances. And we'll say, Hey, we'll put you up for a night at planet Hollywood. And then you get to go downstairs and see Kelly Clarkson perform. The, the label might go to a few different radio stations around the country and offer them uh, that particular package. So don't be surprised, especially if you're in like a larger market, like a New York, L.A., San Francisco, Houston, Chicago. Just like a general like iHeartRadio contest that will be open to yeah. multiple markets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, especially when you've got the, you know, like an iHeart situation where they've got hundreds of stations around the country and everyone's vying they'll for do the like same. One, they'll do like one single prize. prize. Yeah. yeah. God, yeah. I hate that, by the way. <laughs> I'm I so know. glad. I, I'm so <laughs> glad that I work for a company that isn't that way. But anyway, um, so yeah, you're don't be surprised if you see some radio stations um giving away opportunities. And maybe, I mean, hell, even NBC might uh in some fashion might do it. Kelly the might talk have show, a, there might be an the, ad on the talk show. The talk yeah. show might do it. Kelly on her official website might have a contest to to win free tickets. So there are going to be uh, free tickets out there for these shows. Not as many as there might be for an individual show in an ind individual market, but they'll be out there. Yeah, okay. And that's all to promote the show. Uh, Cause again, the label just has to give a radio station one pair of tickets, which may only run them, let's say $300, but the radio station is going to talk about that and give them like $30,000 in promotional mentions so now you've got all these people who know that Kelly Clarkson's playing in Las Vegas. And guess what? All they have to hope is that one or two people who hear that go on and buy tickets and fly out to Vegas and they've made their money back. Pam, you got anything? Uh, no, I'm excited, though, to see, okay. you know, what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks and months, because I'm sure we're going to get something soon. And um, yeah. I don't know. I just hope that, like, I mean, we just <laughs> we just said a ridiculous amount of information, but like. No. Yeah, I don't know. I hope it like, you know, I hope people enjoyed hearing all about this and like maybe gives people a bit of like a new per perspective on like how things are run behind the scenes because um, you kind of get a bit more. I don't want to use the word empathy, but I guess a bit more empathy on like an understanding on like what the involvement is and that there are so many people and that there's a lot of time and a lot of schedules to mesh up with. Um and it's 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 a lot. It is from you know from someone who used to do this. It's it's very exhausting. It's fun but exhausting. And you know, I know we're all super thirsty for new Kelly stuff. I I and we have every right to be. But just like you know, I guess it's important to know that they're you know the label is not just like sitting there twiddling their thumbs, being like, all right, maybe yeah. today we'll announce it. There's just like a lot of 
logistics that they're working through. Yeah. So um, anywho, I hope you all enjoy this. And Moni, thank you for putting in all the time and commitment for this episode and even just like bringing it up to us in, in the first place. Yeah, thank you very well, much. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully the other lay people out there uh, got something out of it because I know I just like my brain <laughs> all of the logistics and how many people must be involved and all that stuff. So thank you again for letting me come on and it, it was a good time as yeah, well. Yeah, I so. mean, it, thank you very much, Moni, for for your uh, your hosting duties uh, this week. Uh, yeah, like Pam said, we threw a lot of information at you guys today, but uh, in my mind, this episode is dedicated to the people that are in Kelly's mentions. Uh, saying, give us the album. We want the album. <laughs> and then after we get the album, the people are going to be like, give us the tour dates. We want the tour dates. This is for you guys because you. we want everybody to understand that there is a lot. There is a massive amount of work that goes into an album project and into a tour or even a residency, whichever it ends up being. So there's a lot and a lot of people work really hard to make this a great experience. And I just hope everybody remembers that so that when you're, you know, pestering an artist in their DMS or in their, in their comments about how they just need to hurry up and release the album. It's a process. It's all very deliberate and it will come. You just have to have patience. Bam. Mic drop. Boom. Moni, thank you so much for joining us. We love you, and we are excited to have you back on in the future. For everyone listening, thank you if you've made it this far. I don't know how long this episode is, but it, I know it's long. It's so one of our longest. You. It's one of our longest. So thank you for your patience and for listening. We hope you learned something and enjoyed it. Um, as always, you can reach us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Miss Into Podcast. And if you listen on the Spotify app, please consider leaving us a rating there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, also you can leave us a rating and review we would love that so that other kelly clarkson fans can find us and join in on the conversations in the meantime we will look forward to seeing you guys next week with another new episode until then take care bye you've been listening to miss indie podcast the kelly clarkson fan podcast miss indie podcast was written and produced by jeremy and pam remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you'll be the first to know when a new podcast is posted Continue the conversation by following the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Miss Indie Podcast. Send us your questions and comments to Miss Indie Podcast at gmail.com. 